the Lord. Hey, he is so good. He is our living hope. And Lord God Almighty, we want to praise you this morning that Jesus Christ is our living hope. Out of the grave comes the roaring lion. Out of the grave comes the voice that declares he is alive. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this morning, oh God, we want to praise you. We want to bless your name. We want to lift up your name on high. And Father, this morning, as we open your word, we ask that you would speak into our lives in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning our subject has already been said. It's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's Jesus. And our Bible reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. You'll see it on the screen. But I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out and have a look. Read it for yourself. Take some notes. God wants to speak to us this morning. King of kings and Lord of lords. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read this from verse 11. We'll get the words up on the screen. It says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. That's the word of God. Praise the Lord. Hey. You know, 1 Timothy was a letter, a letter that the apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it to a pastor. The pastor's name was Timothy. And he was trying to teach Timothy how to lead a church. Now, when you're leading a church, there's a lot of how-tos that need to be understood and learned. Now, Paul had an interesting ministry, you know. He didn't start his churches in the area where Jesus had been or the other apostles or the, the 12 or 11 apostles had uh, been starting churches. He went out and started to plant churches in new areas where there were mainly non-Jewish people. He shared the gospel of Jesus uh, um, mainly with pagans. He would go to the Jews first and some of them would respond, but then he'd turn to the pagans, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. These are people 
who worshipped Greek and Roman gods. These were the most unlikely people, perhaps you could say, and they were getting saved. They had no church order, no protocols, no rules, no guidelines. And so they were trying to learn, what do you do? Now we've committed our life to Christ. What do we do when we gather together into a church service? And because Paul was starting churches among the pagans who were turning to Christ, he wanted to write some things down. And he appointed Timothy to be a pastor to one of those churches. We need some how-tos when we start ministries and when we lead ministries, don't we? I remember when I was starting out in ministry, I was a new pastor. I started as a youth pastor out at Ipswich. And very and I was living in a house right beside the church building and on the church property. One night I came home, turned on the light, went inside, and there on a table is a note. And the note said, I just wanted you to know how easy it is to break into your house. <laughs> and it was signed Charlie. Now, Charlie was a brand-new Christian, a bit of a rough, a rough upbringing. His family, uh, well, his dad had gone and mum was trying to look after the kids. Brand-new Christian. What do you do? I had nothing in what I'd learned at Bible college that taught me what do you do when the house, your house is broken into by a member of your youth group. There was another Sunday and my job that day was to read the Bible reading. What could go wrong reading the Bible reading? Got up, I read the Bible reading. After the service, I went out and the senior pastor said to me, I think you're in a lot of trouble. I said, what? He said, you'll find out. I stepped outside and this old fellow came up to me, probably about my age. He came up to me and he said, young man, you did not read the scriptures from the proper version. And he was angry and he's pointing his finger and he's saying, I'll put my fingers in my ears if you don't read the proper version of the Bible. Now, there was nothing in Bible college that taught me what to do with a man like that. And the senior pastor thought it was funny. <laughs> Good training, he said. But we need some how-tos. And the how-tos are not always about handling angry old men. Not always about what do you do when someone from your youth group breaks into the house? There are how-tos, how to lead people into godliness, how to help people who are caught up with false teachers. How do you help people that have got a little off the track somewhere? We need how-tos. So Paul writes these guidelines, and in these guidelines he finishes with some key words that we're going to put up on the screen, these key words, 
sum up all that Timothy is saying, uh, all that Paul is saying. Live like you have an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's um, move on a few slides there. Um, beyond that one, we've got that on the, on the screen. Live like you have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Learn to live constantly in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what Paul's saying. But how do we do that? How do we get things into their right place? We remember we serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We live like we're in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords all the time. We live in the reality that the King is here and we know too that the King is coming. And we're going to start, my first point is this, the King has come. He has come. He first came in the days of Moses. God's everywhere and he's always been there. But something happened in the days of Moses where God the king came and stood on Mount Sinai. And people learned that he is immortal. He lives in unapproachable light and no one can see him. And he comes down and he's right there on this mountain beside the people and the mountain shook when God came. Lightning and thunder was cracking and flashing and people died when they came too close to the bottom of the mountain. And they learned with God's presence among them that God the King fed them. God the Lord healed them. God the Lord led them. God the Lord defeated their enemies. King of kings and Lord of lords stayed with them. He provided land, he provided riches, he provided comfort. But the Israelites weren't too comfortable with God on the mountain. It's shaking, it's lightning, it's thundering. People have died trying to get there, getting too close. And they said, and Moses... He's up the mountain. How can he survive the thunder and the lightning and the noise and the shaking? Let's lower this a little bit. And they said, build a, we'll build a calf, a golden calf. <sighs> we... we feel a bit easier with that. It's a bit like the gods we had in Egypt. They had a calf. The Canaanites, they got Baal, they got a whole lot of other gods and there's a calf there. And surely the calf represents God but something looking like that is a bit easier to handle than a shaking mountain and a stormy mountain. And they just settled, they settled on this substitute. And Aaron made this golden calf that represented the gods of Egypt, the gods of the Canaanite, 
They wanted to cover their bases to be sure, but God punished them for not trusting him, for not trusting his promises and not worshipping him as king of kings and lord of lords. And then God said, I want Moses, when he came down, he said, give the people some commandments. And the very first two commandments, which were put up on the screen, are these. In verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's saying I'm king of kings and lord of lords. Here's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, no golden calves. He clarified with the second commandment, which is in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins, for the sin of their parents, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Israelites didn't learn. Generations later, they're in the land of Canaan, they're in the promised land, it's theirs. But there's a god there called Baal. And Baal is known as the Lord of the earth. Again, the Israelites slip aside. It's still got the temple, and that's okay. God comes. I mean, there were some powerful visitations of God in the temple. Sometimes the temple shook because of God's presence. He still has come. He's still living among them. But to be sure, we've got Baal. Everyone else is having success. All the Canaanites are having success for Baal. They're calling on him about fertility problems, about rain problems, about weather problems. Surely the prince or the lord of the earth is a good option. And you know what God did? He punished them. It's interesting what he did. They keep going over after Baal. And so God says, all right, Baal's only, known as the Lord of the earth. I'll put you in a place, Babylon, taken over by Persia, you know what the kings of Babylon, and particularly the kings of Persia, were called? King of kings and lord of lords. And so God's saying, if you want to go after other gods, let me give you a feel of what it's like to worship someone who claims to be king of kings and lord of lords and see what their punishment is like. When we read that God punishes us for not acknowledging God as King and Lord, it all seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? But Jesus explained it very well. He gave a very, very short parable summed up in two verses that helps us understand. Let's go to the next slide. We read there Jesus' words. He says to the people, Come to me, all 
you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's just pause there for a moment. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In that, Jesus is explaining the punishment for not acknowledging Jesus as Lord. If you look at, look at the picture, I, I get the feeling that uh, one of those oxen is not real happy. You know, if you have a bit of a look, you've you got, um, you got the fellow over on that side, this side. He looks like he's got his eyes straight in front, knows where he's going, but look at the other one. You know, it's like, I don't want to be here. Hey? You ever felt like that? I don't want to be here. And what Jesus is saying is, a yoke only hurts when we try and go in a different direction to the other person or the other oxen. You see, the Lord wants to direct our lives and our greatest weakness is often when we assume that we know the will of God in a matter and we can either do what seems to be the right thing, which is our thing, and hope that God will just bless it when I say, God bless me when I do this today. God bless me as I follow this tradition and don't deviate from it. God bless me when I follow what everyone else is doing because I don't want to get a bad name for myself. God bless me with my expectations because I am really wanting to be rich and I'm really wanting to be well known and I'm really wanting to make a name for myself in this life and really I want to be number one. God, will you bless that list, please? In Jesus' name, just to be sure. Amen. We can do the right thing, the thing that God has directed us to do, when we get still before him and rest in him and say, Lord, I worship you. You're the king. You're the Lord. You know what's best for me. And then the yoke doesn't hurt because we're pulling in the same direction. The yoke only hurts when we want to go that way and he wants to go that way. We can only come to a place of breakthrough when Jesus is Lord. And the Lord is looking for one thing, and that is the acknowledgement of his lordship. A yoke only hurts when we try and go in a different direction to the other one. The second thing is this, the king is here. Now, Paul, we'll go back to our reading in Timothy, 1 Timothy. Paul says, tell the people to come out of their righteous attitude. Tell the people to come. You need to come out of your supreme attitude. Tell the people to come out of their arrogant attitudes and realize they are yoked to the King of Kings. We live in the presence of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the mighty God, God the Blessed Father, the only ruler, the one who is immortal, the one who lives in unapproachable light, the one whom no one has seen or can see. We live yoked to him in his presence. I'm going to take a bit of time out. 
Boys and girls, you're very quiet, very good. How's the puzzle going? Finished? Summer. I want all the boys and girls to come down the front. Come on. All the boys and girls, everyone, come down the front here. Got a little job for you, you know? Come on. You know, the last one down there is... Uh, no, we won't go there. <laughs> come, come up the top here. All the boys and girls, okay? Uh, we've got them coming from right up the back. There are some that are still not... Come on, come on down, honey. Come on down. Uh, we've got some shy ones. I'm going to ask Pastor Andrew to come down too because school starts this week, doesn't it? Hey, who's excited about that? <laughs> There's not a lot of enthusiasm up here. Hey, but what Pastor Andrew is going to do is uh, he's going to come and pray for you as you uh, get ready to go to school. And then I've got a job for you. Still, still sitting around the place, which is which is fine too. Uh, let's lift them all up to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we, we we know that you love these kids. So, Holy Spirit, would you go before them? Would you encircle them with your presence as they go to school this coming week? Lord, would you be with them to bring reassurance when they are nervous, to bring courage when they have anxiety, and to bring joy? when they have sadness. Lord, we want so many good things for these kids. But most of all, we want them to come and to know you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Mm. So, Father, we pray that you would have your blessing, your hand upon them, not only for uh, the school year, but also for uh, the time that they spend in kids' church and, um, and youth group and girls' brigade and boys' brigade as life is fed into them, Father, I pray that they would be willing recipients of that life, that it would found them deep in the thing that would take them well into the rest of life and into all eternity. So bless them with your peace and with your courage and with your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, don't go away. Now, out among all these people, I've given out or someone's given out some crowns, some paper crowns like you wear at a party. So Matt's got one. And if you've got a crown, I want you to put it on your head. Okay? There's about 20 of them and they're scattered all through the people. What I want you to do is go and get some crown, get all the crowns and bring them back here. When you bring them back, See over the other side there, there's a cross. What I want you to do is bring the crowns back and lay them at the bottom of the cross. Okay? Only one crown per person. You can't run around and gather up all the others, okay? One per person. As soon as you get it, bring it and lay it at the cross. Ready? Go.
Hey, we've got some neat people here. We're really laying those crowns out nice and neatly. Now, can someone do a count um, for me? Oh, we've still found another one up the back. We've got some more coming. How many have we got? Well, there's been a multiplication. Okay, have we got 20 yet? 19. Who? Ah. <laughs> All right. Someone want to race over and get one from Pastor Andrew? Uh, he's lost it. Okay. Thanks, boys and girls. Let's give them a hand. Okay. Want to go back to your seats? Thanks for that. Thanks for that. I just find that fascinating that 19 people out of 20 would want to lay their crowns at the foot of the cross. <laughs> and the senior pastor... Oh dear. Pray for him, won't you? <laughs> you know, these crowns here, they represent our success, our strength, our wealth, our knowledge, our ministries. And the more important you and I are perceived to be and the more successful that we are, and the more wealthy we become, even if it is just owning one house, the more important it is that we cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Because if you don't cast your crown, you worship your crown, and God won't share his glory with another. So the higher we go in life, the more important we are, Every promotion we get, every advance we make, every opportunity that comes our way, we need to get down and worship him and thank him and declare, I will not let any breakthrough go to my head. I will bless the Lord at all times and I will cast my crown at his feet. How do we do this? Well, Paul gives us four things. In 1 Timothy 6, 11, to 12, uh, 11 and 12. We'll put that up on the screen. They're highlighted in the white. He says, flee from all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, etc. Fight the good fight and take hold of eternal life. So let's look at that first one, flee. Not talking about these sort of fleas. <laughs> flee. Run away. You know, have you ever been in a building, an apartment building, and a holiday accommodation, and the fire alarm goes off? Middle of the night. Happened to me once down um, in Western Sydney. And of course, the fire alarm goes off, and you're told to leave everything behind and flee. And I was on the top floor. And we go down the stairs. I grabbed my wallet and I left. And outside, there's a pyjama party. 
But you know what? Some took their suitcases. And we're all trying to flee down the stairs and here's someone carrying their heavy suitcases and they're spread out and we're all lined up. We're all pushing and we're trying to get through and they're carrying baggage. And they get to the bottom and they're out of breath. Let me tell you, you cannot flee and carry stuff with you. Paul says, flee from self-importance. Flee from the need to be right. Flee from meaningless talk. Flee from boasting. Flee from living for self. Flee from comfort. Flee from prayerlessness. Flee from faith-draining activities. Flee from lack of care. Flee from trusting in money and possessions. And then the second thing he says is pursue. Pursue. You see, we flee from everything that rules us and burdens us. We stop worshipping idols. You know, in America, there was a survey done recently among the pastors and they all identified from a whole lot of churches right across the nation, they identified the number one idol today that Christians are worshipping is comfort. It's a crown. We flee from anything that's stopping us and we turn towards the Lord and we lay our crowns at his feet. And it's a frightening thing when we surrender everything to him. You flee the burning, well, it wasn't a burning building, it was a false alarm. But you flee, leaving everything behind with the hope it is a false alarm, with the hope that you are going to be reunited with the things that you need for life. But you have a different attitude toward those things when you have to leave them behind and they're gone. The Lord is looking for one thing, and that is the acknowledgement of his lordship. You've made a commitment to follow Christ. You've asked him to forgive you your sins. You've turned away from a sin lifestyle. God came into your life through Christ, but you haven't had the breakthrough that you're looking for. You think you've got a relationship problem, but it may be that you've got a lordship problem. You think you've got a money problem, but you've got lordship problems. You think you've got family problems, but you've got lordship problems. You might think, I've got a fear problem, a worry problem. It may well be that you've got lordship problems. And you need to learn, irrespective of the circumstances, how to come into a place of breakthrough. It's so important that you cast your crown at the feet of Jesus. Because if you don't cast your crown, you worship your crown. And God will not share his glory with another. So the higher you go, the more important you are. Every promotion you get, every advance you make, every opportunity that comes, you need to get down and worship him and thank him, declare, I will not let any breakthrough go to my head. I will bless the Lord at all times and cast my crown at his feet. And you turn towards the Lord and start to pursue him. We've just had Christmas. And you know that song, um, Little Drummer Boy? You know, drums or drummers were used on the battlefield from about the 13th century. And they were used, they usually were out in front of the troops, particularly the British um, 
and uh, the French and then the US, um, well, the American soldiers, they perfected this, but they would put the drummers out in front. And some of them were as young as nine years old. But there were adults there among them too. And the purpose of the drummer was to keep the beats so that um, there was a different beat. Sometimes it was a beat for loading up the muskets, but mostly it was a beat to keep to the, you keep to the beat as you march towards the enemy. And that role of the little drummer boy was romanticised in the song, the little drummer boy. You know how the song goes? Little baby, pa-rumpa-pum-pum. I'm not going to sing it. I'm a poor boy too. A rumpa pum pum. I have no gift to bring. A rumpa pum pum. That's fit to give our king. A rumpa pum pum. Then he says, Shall I play for you? Do we have a little drummer boy? out in front, playing in the drum band, and ahead are the troops, the enemy. He looks ahead and he's marching to the beat and creating the beat, and in front of him there's smoke, there's fire, there's thunder, and he feels like Maybe what the Israelites felt like as they're facing Mount Sinai, where there's smoke and fire and thunder. And he says, as he faces the smoke and the fire and the thunder, I have no gift to bring. Shall I play for you? Shall I give you what I've got? And as we turn towards the Lord, laying our crowns at his feet. It can be a frightening thing as we surrender everything to him. We hear the drumbeats as we turn towards him and the rhythm quickens and we start to take big steps as we start to see him more clearly. Big steps, righteousness, what is right, doing what's in agreement with God. Big steps, godliness, faith increasing, love increasing, big steps. The drumbeat is getting louder. It's getting easier to, to move forward, easier to endure. We hear the drumbeat and we're taking bigger steps as we move towards the king, the righteousness, godliness, increasing faith love increasing, gentleness. And then we suddenly realise this is not a drumbeat we're marching to, it's a heartbeat. And as we flee from the things that rule our lives and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and gentleness, we find ourselves not marching to a drumbeat, but the heartbeat of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the drumbeat, the heartbeat I mean, says, keep going, keep in step. The heartbeat, uh, sorry, the drumbeat says, keep going, keep in step. But the heartbeat says, flee, pursue, fight, take hold. 
as we take big steps towards Jesus, listening to his heartbeat, something happens, a fight breaks out. And it's not a war. It's not a backyard brawl. It's not a street brawl even. It's a strange fight. It's a fight we've already mentioned. It's a fight that relates to a yoke. And a yoke only hurts, remember, when we fight against the direction of the lead oxen. And sometimes the pain we feel, sometimes we, 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 we need to understand it is actually a lordship issue that we are fighting against. It's designed to bring us into who we are designed to be. And I remember times when I was a young fellow and uh, we had cars, new cars, old cars, whatever, and we'd take a perfectly good car and sometimes strip it down Shave their head, tinker, fine-tune so we could get more out of it. And that's what it is to lay your crowns at the feet of Jesus. It is allowing him to take us, his children, and fine-tune us. Everything he does, he does out of love. And the third thing that we're looking at this morning is where Paul finishes and he says, remember, the king is coming. And he writes this, the king is coming. So people of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made good, when you made your good confession in the presence of witnesses because the king is coming. The king is coming, so I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame because the king is coming. The king is coming and God will bring his coming about in his own time. God, the blessed ruler, is uh, God, the blessed and only ruler, is the king of kings and lord of lords and he is immortal and lives in unapproachable light and no one has seen him or can see him and to him be the honour and the might forever. And God, who is Jesus, is king of kings and lord of lords and he is coming, the king is coming. We have endured the ambiguity of not having the king rule our lives. We've tried serving other kings, if we're honest. Popular opinion, money, celebrities. We've been instructed by lords who sit beside us in the workplace and live beside us in our homes. We've been taught from the video screens and the movie screens and the news media and we've ascended thrones that we've built for ourselves and we've made ourselves rulers of our own worlds lords of our own environments, but somehow, as we pull against the yoke, loneliness and shame and hurt and poverty, addiction and broken relationships invade our kingdoms. And it takes every ounce of our ingenuity and every ounce of our creativity and every ounce of our endurance and every ounce of who we are to fight because we want to maintain ownership. We want to maintain lordship of our lives. We want to maintain kingship. We want to seek, and we, but deep down, we secretly long for a king. And this morning, the Lord wants to release you into a relationship with him where you are happily yoked with him and walking with him and serving him as king of kings 
and Lord of Lords. One last little thing. There's people here this morning who have never made a confession of faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know that Jesus went to the cross with you in mind. And he made it possible that you could trust him. You could trust that Jesus Christ died to bear your sin and to pay for your sin. And Jesus came to transform your life. And what that means is because Jesus is Lord of all, he invites everyone here this morning who does not have a personal relationship with God through Jesus into a personal relationship with him. I'm going to do something that you may well find a little difficult, but I'm going to ask this. If that's you this morning and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you've never invited him to that place where he is the ruler of your life, where you've been prepared to turn from your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to cleanse you and then walk with him. If you've never done that and you want to do that this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is just raise your hand. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Raise your hand. Just long enough for me to see it. I see someone up the back there. Is there anyone else over this side? I see someone here. Anyone else over this side while I'm looking this way? Over this side, if you never invited Jesus Christ to be the King of kings and Lord of lords in your life, just pop your hand up long enough for me to see it. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to sing a song and maybe the team might come up as they're coming. Those people that raised their hand, I think there was two, maybe three. Our pastor, Andrew, um, I, I think I'll get you to come over this side because this is where the people are have raised their hand. I want you, if you've raised your hand, to come down the front and talk to Pastor Andrew. And um, I think there's a child there. Maybe mum or dad um, could come with you. Yeah, mum or dad can come with you and come down the front here. And um, then what I'm going to ask is during this song, if you believe, or if you sense this morning you're one of those people that is off track, you're pulling against the yoke, you're trying to go your way instead of God's way. And you want to realign this morning, but you want to do it in a public way with a public confession. I, I'm just going to invite you to just come down the front and stand across the front here. And at the end of the service or when the song's finished, I'm just going to pray for you from up here. And then if you'd like more prayer, when I've prayed for everyone generally, then members of the prayer team will stay back and they will pray for you. I know there's someone here who's just been diagnosed with cancer and um, um, we're, we're going to pray for you. That, that's not a word from the Lord. I knew about that. There's someone else that's just got some bad news from a doctor. Again, not a word from the Lord. I knew about it. You might like to come down and um, we'll pray for you specifically 
the end of the service. Okay, a lot of instructions. Let's stand. Those that raise their hand, you come down here with Pastor Andrew. Others come and respond, not to me, but to the Lord.